It's our job to always be finding the right people. We talked about getting the right people on the bus earlier. Whether you're getting the right people on the cap table or on your team, your primary job as a founder is to find and retain talent, find and retain capital, those kinds of things. And so I would strongly recommend yeah, that you nourish and support your network and really pay attention to it. Understand how important it is to the success of your business. And also that when things are hard, because they will, without a doubt, be harder than you could ever imagine that the answer is always to reach out to that network, not to hide. My name is Melissa Pankost, and I'm the founder and CEO of The Beans. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Took six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the back end. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. Took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of her team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Melissa Pancoast took her experiences as a teacher and created automated financial plans for caring professionals. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy-managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the analytics for humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Melissa Pancos is originally from Miami, but now lives in California. She still loves Florida being outside skiing or rowing. The latter was a huge part of her life from middle school through grad school, and she is hoping to get back into it soon. She's married and runs outside as much as possible. In fact, she has completed several half and full marathons, including the Boston Marathon. Prior to her current venture, Melissa was part of a group called Caring Professionals as a teacher in New York City. She studied how people feel about money during her time at Oxford and took her learnings, created a program, and decided to build a software company around it. This is the creation story of The Beans. The Beans, we automate financial planning and support for caring professionals. So caring professionals are our teachers, healthcare, nonprofit, and public employees. It's one in three working Americans, and they are more stressed out than everyone else is about their finances. So we build evidence-based tools, content, and ongoing support to help them break free from financial stress and make financial progress. 
All these things in retrospect seem like they're elegant stories, but really my whole family have been caring professionals. My sisters today still are, but I got a degree from a school. I went to Stetson University, shout out, go Hatters. Got my political science degree. It's a good way to make money from Stetson. And then joined Teach for America, moved to New York City and worked on staff for TFA and then in the classroom. I made $35,000 a year in Teach for America when I started dating a lovely first year attorney who made about five times my salary. It was a real clear moment in the, the inequity around pay in these professions. I was working as a teacher in New York City and everyone around me was stressed out about money. I was stressed out about money. The kids' parents were stressed out about money. My colleagues were stressed out about money. After working in education and education policy for a number of years, when it was time for a change, I went back to school and I studied how people think and feel about money at the University of Oxford. I did a really quantitative behavior change degree there called Evidence-Based Social Interventions, which is about randomized control trial design and execution. So building building programs that really work. I stayed on as a researcher there and had the enormous fortune and opportunity to design a program. That program's called Economic Strengthening, and today it's the first thing that's proven in randomized controlled trials to reduce financial stress. And that's a big deal, Noah, because financial stress is the number one cause of stress in the country. I developed that program at Oxford. I left because I got super excited about how you could massively scale these things with technology much more cost-effectively. So I came out here to try to figure out how to build a software company. And since I left, that program was part of an emergency scaling initiative by the UN, the WHO, and the CDC. And they rolled economic strengthening out along with other programs to support stress for families during COVID. Um, And it's reached about 300 million people today, which is... um, shocking. The origin story is my my own experience. I have all this education. I finish at Oxford. I get back to, to the States and I'm doing my exit counseling for my student loans. And the federal government tells me that I will be in what's called debt burden for the rest of my life. That was their, their language. And, and it made me really angry. I am one of so many people who have checked all the boxes in my life, right? Doing good work, following all the rules, doing it right. And I'm going to suffer debt burden for the rest of my life. Like that just didn't add up. It didn't make sense. And so I set out to get my own financial house in order, get my own financial life in order. And I found that it was really hard to do with the tools that existed. And they're like these two things that are coming together, right? I already had this vision of building tools that actually work by using the principles I learned at Oxford to support behavior change and this frustration of my own that every tool that I tried really failed me. So everything that existed in the market failed me to even get my own financial house in order. I remember clear as day, I signed up to use a product called LearnVest. And I I know the founder of LearnVest and I like them very much, but I have a master's degree from Oxford. I'm trying to sign up to this program. And more or less, they told me to come back to them when I made more money. And I was just shocked wow, I'm very well-educated, hardworking, all these things. And there's so many people who are earning a moderate amount of money and need support. And why don't we build great tools and products to support them? And that's where the beans came from. Okay, so let's dive into the MVP. So that first version of the beans that you created, how long did it take to build? And you know, what sort of tools were you using to bring it to life? It's funny, MVP covers a lot of territory, right? And I was thinking about our MVP and really the very first thing 
that I built, I used a plugin called Mojito, the Chrome plugin, that would scrape data out of Mint and put it in a spreadsheet. So I'm essentially hacking Mint to get data so that I could build different products. Programs to aggregate and access bank data didn't exist when I started to futz with this idea. So Mojito let me get a bunch of friends together and ask them to let me see all their bank data and start tinkering in Google Sheets with ways that I could support them. That is the true MVP was a plugin that scraped data from Mint combined with Google Forms asking questions and then sending support and recommendations over email and text. So (laughs) all really taped together there. We've had MVPs of product. We're releasing a new feature right now. and It's an MVP, right? It's the slimmest version of this feature that we can get out the door. We've tested that it's a thing that we ought to build, but we want to prove to ourselves that we need to invest more resources in it. So we, we take an MVP approach to all of our features now. But yeah, MVP on the business was, it was pretty duct taped together. So with any MVP, you got to make decisions and trade-offs. And as you were putting that, you know, Google Sheets and scraper together of Mint, you had to make certain, you know, decisions and trade-offs. You had to work through them, right? Tell me about some of those you had to work through and how you coped with those decisions. Having sat in the shoes myself of thinking through all the tools, including the one we were scraping, we're pulling data out of Mint. And Mint is what they're just shutting down now. But at the time, considered to be the tool that solved this problem for everyone. And they were the granddaddy of personal financial management tools. And PFMs is a whole cohort just really weren't working to serve people. And I was frustrated with what I could get to begin with out of Mint. And so when we were building and figuring out trade-offs, the first thing was who? Who are we going to test with and who are we going to build for? Because one of the original sins of a lot of tech products, I believe, is that they employ what the researchers would call a snowball method of training. So in snowballing, get everyone who's real close to you and they're who you interview, they're who you talk to, they're who you learn from. And if you are in the seat of power of technology in one of the tech centers in the U.S. at the time, really, it was really the Bay Area. And if you are a conventional founder in the Bay Area, you're doing your training with other people who look like you and you're highly unlikely to ever get to the audience that maybe you intend to be serving or at least are saying is the mission. And so I really I wanted to go as fast as I could, but I also wanted to balance the fact that I didn't want to just snowball and have all the people around me in the Bay Area be my training set. Did start with friends and family because they're the people I could email and say, hey, will you give me your bank data, which is quite the ask, right? <laughs> Especially uh, when you're just getting started. I really looked to find people who I thought would help me build something that was more representative and therefore more useful. When I started the company, I was building for middle-income millennial Americans, right? Like this broader cohort. Um, And we've really narrowed it down over time. That would be another set of trade-offs that we've made is that narrowing of the aperture around our market. I think that's the the most important one is just the trade-off of who are we serving? And as a result, what are we focusing on? Like, what are the key needs? Because my founder friends have very specific financial needs and they are definitely not the same as the market that I'm serving. And I think it's really important to be crystal clear about that. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. 
legacy-managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. This episode is sponsored by CashFly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where CashFly comes in. CashFly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, CashFly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only CashFly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at CashFly.com slash CodeStory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash CodeStory. So then you've got your MVP, right? You're seeing that it's working. Are you seeing that spark that makes you want to move forward? How did you progress the product from there and mature it? And I think to wrap that in a box a little bit, what I'm what I'm curious about is how you built your roadmap. How did you go about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to do or to build or to address with the beans? So at the beans, we take an evidence-driven design approach, which I believe is pretty unusual. I'm not familiar with anybody else who's doing it outside of digital health. In digital health, they learned that supports sent over text message are more useful to the end user than push notifications. That helped inform, as we were growing, how we would engage end users over text message as opposed to over push notification. That's reinforced in our market. You've got people often living paycheck to paycheck. And if they have that little red badge on their app, that's got some crazy number on it or a push notification, usually they're conditioned that it's bad news. They don't want to go there. And so we learned not only to deliver the information over text, which would be read more often, which would make it more useful, but that we wanted to make sure that our communications were always positive and proactive. Now, proactive gets into the core piece of the roadmap, which is our emphasis on data and our research of all those other products that have tried to crack this problem. The key issues are that the products were always wrong and that they made people feel badly. And both of those things track back to being data challenges. And so for a, um, today we are a B2B business. We started out as direct to consumer 
really just focusing on the data model challenges. So once we tested with the MVP, and I keep saying we, initially it was me and then me and a software engineer, nights and weekends, my kitchen table in my apartment. Once we figured out that, yeah, there was a problem, yeah, we could do something about it, yeah, we could tape these things together, the roadmap was really informed by this emphasis on needing to get the data right. And so I spent the early time of the company really focused on that. That is, I think, maybe an, an unusual approach. Well, tell me about the the shift there that you were mentioning that could be another question. Tell me about the, the, the shift in who you were serving. I'm sure there's lots of good stories there. I'm a consumer founder. Like, I care about the end user. I love brand. I Like, I really am obsessed with that end user experience. And throughout this journey, our investors have been telling me, yeah, Melissa, it's really hard. It's really hard to do this direct-to-consumer and what they mean and they're right they're wonderful and experienced folks who have seen this play a few times they mean is that it's really expensive to grow in financial services and that's true if you have enormous sums of money to invest in cost of acquisition and customer acquisition then there's a pathway forward in in consumer fintech but it's much more efficient to be building your community through groups where your whole audience is already already together. So uh, we started direct-to-consumer coming into the pandemic. So coming into March of 2020, we launched the product direct-to-consumer in January of 2020 and it was growing beautifully. And I went to raise capital in March of 2020, which if you recall, was a terrible time to raise venture capital. It got pretty cool after, or pretty hot after that but at that immediate moment it was it was terrible i was in new york city with a whole slate of meetings for the day and every one of them went to zoom but instantly right and it just the, the whole ecosystem was turned upside down so we did not raise money in march of 2020 and instead had to reorganize and figure out a way to grow really cost effectively we had already had some success in distribution partnerships going to a school and sharing what we do with all the teachers who work there, for example. And in that way, you have an audience of a bunch of people who have a, a great need for what we're building all in one place. And so that can make that a much more efficient, efficient acquisition process. But what we discovered while we were trying to solve this problem for ourselves was that those distribution partners were interested in paying for what we offer for their staff. And so we leaned into that hard. And we made that pivot like officially in the summer slash fall of 2022 and have been growing really quickly through that through that model. Since <laughs> one of our investors is was saying, like, it wouldn't be the worst thing if you became B2B. And, and I just said to him, I was like, look, we're not going to let the company die on my desire to be a direct to consumer business. But I had experienced in a B2B digital health company how hard it was to connect with the end user because you're often connecting with the buyer. You're caught up talking to the buyer and not the end user. It makes it hard to build a product for the end user. And so that's, I didn't want to be caught in that. And so we're fortunate because we have a lot of reps with the end user because we started as direct to consumer and that has informed the product and made it a much, much better product experience. And now we get to roll that together and, and sell it through their employers, which is working quite nicely. Okay, so I hear you saying we. Tell me about how you built your team and what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? The best part of being a founder is you get to pick who you work with. And I can remember before before I founded the company, when I was a student of startups, 
really particularly, I used to take the train down to Stanford and sneak into the back of the How to Start a Startup class, which was run at Stanford and just sit in the back and listen. I thought like, how cool is that? The best part of being a founder is you get to choose who you work with every day. And where we are today, my team is amazing. They're absolutely incredible. So I started the business with a software engineer, ultimately was a solo founder for a number of years and have just asked our head of design and CTO to be co-founder. So you're We're having this conversation at a a super interesting time where I'm going from being a solo founder back to having co-founders. Being a founder is a certain kind of madness, that's for sure. And for us, every one of our leaders is a former caring professional. So we have a founder market fit in a real special way. Every one of our leaders has an empathy for the problem that anchors us in actually solving the problem. So not getting caught up in building product for ourselves and our current experience in life, but staying really close to the problem and the end user and, and solving it. I think the, the personal elements are enormously important too because building is really hard and you need people that you can do hard things alongside and that if communications are really rapid or they're short or you're trying to solve 16 things at one time, maybe 75 things at one time, who knows, that everybody can hang in that together, that there's enough social capital between you. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names... Only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. Hello. Welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry. Goodbye. Don't be left out of the Analytics Club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Okay, this will be interesting. 
did you build this to scale efficiently? Maybe, maybe after the Google Sheets and the scraper, did you build this to scale efficiently from that time frame, or with scale in mind, or have you been fighting this as you grow in any sort of capacity? Yeah, I think there's a couple different dimensions to scaling something, right? There's like scale, which is an infrastructure question. And I think we're constantly having to improve how we handle the demands of scaling the product. So yes, we put our eye towards scaling. So we don't want to build ourselves into a corner that makes things really hard. But also we don't want to be investing in things before we need them because resources are scarce in a startup. So, you know, resource allocation is the answer. So I think the answer is, yes, we definitely have been building it for scale, meaning we try to anticipate and make good decisions that make it possible for us to um, smoothly (laughs) transition as we're growing. And so that's the infrastructure side. On the other side, built for scale, like scale to me is, are you building this in a way that it can grow very quickly? And uh, the answer is absolutely yes. Student of startups, student of network effects as well. And I think that as a consumer founder, we paid attention to the network effects of the product. And now today there are network effects in our market that we're really interested in. So we're building with an attention to how our customers are related to each other and how we can facilitate our growth through those channels, through our customers in their own social network to really accelerate our scale. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm most proud of the fact that we're actually impacting people's lives. And that sounds huge, but if, if we weren't, no one on my team would be doing this. We'd be doing other stuff with our time. And I think the ambition is to build a big, healthy business and for that business to actually work for the end user. And so specific examples, I got an email once from an end user, a teacher in Atlanta, who got herself out of bankruptcy two years early after making a plan with the beans. In her words, she hadn't ever comprehended her finances before didn't really understand like where the money was going and how it all added up and it it just didn't make sense but doing it in the way that we offer which is what is called visual financial planning unlocked that for her and set her in motion to get her own financial life on track we've got community members who have bought homes and people who have yeah established savings paid off credit card debt and the stories that we get are without a doubt the things that i'm most proud of So let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We all make mistakes. The goal is to make new ones and to only make them once, right? I made a mistake. I hired someone who was a bad fit for the business. It was hard because I thought that I was doing the right things. We practice rubric-based hiring to try and fight bias. And so this is the one person I hired based off of a recommendation of someone else and didn't put through that sort of full open process. But I got a recommendation for a leader to bring onto the team. And I vetted this person and did reference checks and did a whole series of interviews and made the hire. And they were with us for about 40 days total. And it just wasn't a good fit for the business. And fortunately, that it was something 
that I figured out quickly, that the team figured out quickly, and, and we we handled it quickly. But the thing that I've learned as far as mistakes go, Noah, is the cost to the business in the time lost of having the wrong person on the team, just the enormous cost of time. And then the time to interview, hire, and train the right people to fill that role is just, it's incredible to me. This will be fun. So tell me what the future looks like for the product and for your team. The future for us, we build workflow automation for finance and we sell content tools and and support for these employees. And so the future is offering increasing support through these automations. There's a lot of people that are working on building self-driving money, and we could also spend a whole podcast talking about that. And I really believe, as someone who is trained in changing behavior, I believe our, our biggest path forward is in automation, right? I think nudges are valuable and important. I think there's a ton of great stuff we can do with the tech uh, to support great decision-making and, and behavior over time. I know that, that stuff's really hard to do, and so we want to be enormously like judicious about how we try to apply that. And I know that the upside to getting someone in our community into an automation means that every month into the future, their life is automatically getting better. And so the future of the business is offering more evidence-based recommendations paired with the automations that support execution. It's really important to how we deliver product and that we only give one suggestion at a time or one recommendation from the research. When you're dealing with your finances, it can feel like you have a huge list of things that you've got to do. And uh, that is overwhelming. And instead, we just say, here's the one thing based on the evidence that will reduce your financial stress. Would you like us to do it for you? And so today we do automated cash flow planning and automated savings. The future of the business is offering more support through automations. So we tell you what the right next step to take is based on the evidence of what works to reduce your financial stress. And then we offer to do it for you. Okay, let's switch to you, Melissa. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. I think I've almost only worked with very small exception. I've only worked for badass women. And I think that that matters. For me, as a female leader, as a woman leader, as a female founder, I think it really matters. I learned a huge amount from Amanda Krauss, who ran Row New York while I was there. And Amanda now runs the U.S. Rowing Association. Just phenomenal human being. And I learned a lot from Amanda about leadership. I learned an enormous amount from Dr. Lucy Kluver at the University of Oxford. I learned an enormous amount from Michelle Rhee, who ran Students First. And i just incredibly grateful for those experiences along the way. Actually, you know what, to be honest, I don't think I had any idea how hard it was to be a female leader sitting in a seat that was following one of these great women. And I think that's a testament to how they led. But I know that in watching them and learning from them, I've been equipped to do a better job of it myself. Okay, so we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? It doesn't have to be something that didn't work. Could have worked even pretty well, but maybe you tweak it a little bit. 
If you're just starting out, the most important thing, there are two. Maybe there's probably more than that. But you have to set up a CRM right now. There's no no two ways about it. If you're building something, your relationships are the most important thing. And a CRM is going to help you keep that organized and keep track of everything. So specifically, when I think of a CRM, I'm thinking about fundraising conversations and the work that has gone into finding the probably 17 different Google spreadsheets or air tables that have everyone I've ever talked to in fundraising conversation and what stage that conversation was at and what the notes are about that conversation and trying to put that all together as I grow the business so that I can have a coherent communications with people and find the right people to bring into the business and to like maintain and respect those relationships. Number one job um, is to build and and support and maintain and nourish your network as a founder. Um, so get that CRM, get it in place. I use Copper for my like CRM. I've tried all of them. I've tried Streak. I've tried. I've just tried all of them. So I use Copper, and then we also for the business use HubSpot. But I think it's interesting. I, I use Copper because it just sits in my Gmail. It's a huge fan. And then on the product side, set up a landing page and let people give you their email if they're interested in what you're doing. And if I had done that on day one, just had one place where, you know, anyone in the whole lifetime of the business could have signed up to learn more about the beans, right? It would just have been a wonderful thing. And I think that that is a pretty standard startup advice, right? Before you build, just set up your landing page and see if people bite on your value proposition. And I think that that's valuable from a testing perspective to see maybe your MVP is just that landing page. Are people interested in the value prop? But I think there's another layer to that, which is that um, just like the CRM for maintaining all of these relationships, you need to gather the community that's into what you're doing and hold on to them. Because right when you start, you're not going to be able to serve them perfectly, but they're going to be able to help you, teach you, show you what they need and connect you with other folks that have the same needs. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? It's our job to always be finding the right people. We talked about getting the right people on the bus earlier. Whether you're getting the right people on the cap table or on your team, your primary job as a founder is to find and retain talent, find and retain capital, those kinds of things. And so I would strongly recommend that you nourish and support your network and really pay attention to it. Understand how important it is to the success of your business. And also that when things are hard, because they will without a doubt be harder than you could ever imagine that the answer is always to reach out to that network, not to hide. So I think a lot of times you you get insulated or insular when things are really hard. Oh gosh, I don't remember where, but there's a great story. It's if you need help, you've got to go stand on the top of a hill and yell about it. You've got to reach as many people as possible. You want to support that network and have it. And then when you when you need help, you've got to ask. And I think you go to the top of the hill and, and you scream and, and um, find out who can help you solve your problem. And that could be a technical problem. It could be a hiring problem. It could be a fundraising problem. It could be anything. And I can think of countless times where our network, um, either through our investors or through our community or through our members, have helped us to solve problems. So take good care of the people around you and then ask them for help if you need it. 
That's a critical piece of advice. Well, Melissa, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of the beans. You're welcome. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Coat Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. <laughs>